and uh, I'll speak to you this evening on the particular little phrase that's used there. If you will look in uh, in verse eighteen, or he said, uh, or verse twenty rather, he said, "For which I am an ambassador in bonds," and that's the title of the message tonight: is an ambassador or is ambassador in bonds, and. Um, I want to talk to you about what that means. It's a pretty, pretty amazing passage when you look at it, and uh, it'll be helpful to you tonight. First of all, we want to look at a reminder what an ambassador is. Getting that down will help us to think correctly about the message I'm going to bring to you here, just as as we go forward. And then also, it'll bring our minds into focus about what God wants to teach us tonight. Here's one of the challenges on Wednesday night. Maybe even more so than on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening. Um, Wednesday night comes at the end of a very busy Wednesday for most people. And there's been a lot of different things going on. And so uh, it's important that we use the songs of God as they're played, as they're sung. And we pay attention to things to let our mind and heart be brought into focus so we can learn something from the Word of God. To me, it makes no sense at all to put forth the effort be out and come to church and, and take that time and set that aside and not get the most you can while you're there. And so uh, this will help bring us into focus. Let me give you this, uh, this definition of what an ambassador is. Um, it, it's, it's a little lengthy in the, in the description, but we'll go back through it. Uh, not because you're not quick to catch things, but you're not looking at what I'm reading, obviously. So I want to I make sure we get it. Uh, an ambassador is a minister of the highest rank, which is employed by one prince or state at the court of another, meaning by that they're serving in another country or in the, the legal place of legal standing of that other country. Uh, the, the reason why they serve is to manage the public concerns of his own prince or state and to represent the power and dignity of his sovereign. So, the definition of an ambassador is someone who has been sent by their sovereign, whoever it is that is in charge of them. Old days would be a king. Uh, in our country, it would be our president would send them. And uh, in a time like this where you don't actually have one, we can uh, uh, just, it would be a state department, I guess. Uh, he's actually been elected. But the, uh, the, that that person would send someone to represent their nation while they're at a different nation. In other words, an ambassador, if we, if we have an American ambassador to France, while they're in France, they are supposed to represent what our nation is about. They, they're not, they, they can't go make up their own deals. <laughs> uh, they can't go make promises on their own. In fact, any kind of a commitment has to be approved way up the line from them. And they may not behave themselves in a way that is to bring shame and reproach upon their nation. That's what an ambassador is supposed to be. So think about that, okay? Thinking about what an ambassador is, and look again at the verse, which is our, our main verse for tonight, there in Ephesians 6 and verse, verse 20. He said, for which I am an ambassador in bonds. That thing in bonds is very literal. You know whose ambassador Paul was, don't you? Whose ambassador was he? Who did he represent? Christ. Is that right? 
He represented the kingdom of God. He represented the Lord Jesus Christ. And he saw that. It's not the only place where he refers to himself that way. But he's an ambassador in bonds. What's that thing in bonds? He was literally a prisoner. Now, to me, that's what caught my attention with the whole thing. Here's a statement with that. Paul realized that even in his imprisoned condition, he was an ambassador for Jesus Christ. He was literally, physically a prisoner. But he goes, okay, I'm in bonds, but I'm an ambassador. He realized the realities of his situation and the continuing duties of his position. He had a firm grasp of both. That's why he could write in Philippians 1.12 these words, and God used him to put these words down. Paul looked at the ministry and looked at what he had suffered and looked at where he was. And he said, These things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Now why? Because he never lost the focus of who he was even though he was in bonds. And so what he did was he said, whatever I'm in, whatever my situation is, it's for the furtherance of the gospel. Pretty amazing statement, I think. He lived in the reality that he would answer to his Savior for how he cared for the responsibility and privilege of being entrusted, listen to it, with the gospel and the message of godly living. And he would be held accountable for how he took care of that responsibility while he was navigating the trials and victories and troubles and defeats of his own life. Um, There was a British ambassador, I wish I had the name, uh, high-ranking official. He was actually, he, 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 he was in England at the time, and I wish I had the name to give you, but he he received an ambassador from Nazi Germany. This is at the beginning of hostilities against England. There were already plenty of hostilities, but they were against England. And basically, the representative sitting over from Germany just started making threats. You know, you, you need to come to terms with us or, or you'll suffer like the Poles suffered and you'll suffer like... And he just started naming, you know, basically, we're going we're gonna to roll over top of you if you don't go along. And this British uh, state representative, his ambassador, he, uh, he became very angry and basically told the fellow, uh, you'll pay with blood if you try. And after the German left and this British fellow had had enough, you know how polite generally he just, he just really chewed the guy out. He was, he, he was mortified and he, he, here's what he was upset about, the British man. He said, I lost control of my temper. And that's unacceptable for a man in my position. Why? Because he was not at liberty to make threats back. He was not at liberty to do that. He said, well, I, but he was an ambassador. And see, Paul, while he was dealing with the things that came into his life, he never lost sight of the reality that he was an ambassador for Christ. Um, This brings us to a reality, something I've written down here. Our circumstances never excuse us from behaving in a manner befitting an ambassador of Jesus Christ. 
I am never in a circumstance in life that excuses me not acting as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Um, an ambassador brings, he's bringing forth the gospel to the Gentiles as an ambassador. Paul was an ambassador for Christ. So he was taking the gospel to the Gentiles. All right? You all hear of Gentiles. Gentiles so I got Gentiles over here, got Jewish people over here. So what he did is an ambassador, he had been sent by the Lord specifically to take the gospel to this group of people. Actually, that should be the other way because there were more Gentiles than Jews. And he was he was supposed to take that message to those people. But do you know taking that message is what ended him up in jail? I know that wasn't a very good sentence grammatically. I think you get the point. What landed him in jail was the fact he was doing what he was supposed to be doing as ambassador. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 1. He says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. It's interesting. Say, Jesus had him in jail? No, no, no. He, he was literally a prisoner. And he was a prisoner because he was preaching the gospel. So he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He, he wasn't a prisoner because he had broken their laws. He wasn't a prisoner because he had stolen from somebody or had some kind of shady deal going on. He was a prisoner because of the gospel. All right? Michael, look up at me, buddy. Right. You may be writing and keeping up with somebody. I want you to look up at me. All right? and, uh, and so he said, I, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, look at the end of the sentence. Amazing how many times I've been through uh, Ephesians and never noticed that little phrase on the end of it. For you Gentiles. He says, I'm a prisoner for your sake. What do you mean, Paul? I was being an ambassador. I came to you with the gospel. And guess what happened? His own people got very angry at him over it. The Jewish people. He ended up being taken to Rome. He, he appealed to Caesar. And the reason he had to do that is because the Jews had a plan that they were going to try to get him back to Jerusalem for trial. And they were going to kill him on the way or kill him when he got there. And he knew that. And so being a free-born Roman citizen, he appealed to Caesar. It would be like you appealing to the Supreme Court. And he ended up going to Rome. Guess what happened there? People even in Caesar's own household got saved. Do you want to know what the direct church lineage is? If you trace back church history, do you know what the direct lineage is? For believers here in the United States, that means us tonight, it goes right back to Europe. And how did the gospel get into Europe? A converted Jewish guy named Paul got taken there as a prisoner. And while he was taken there, under less than ideal circumstances, he never quit being ambassador for Christ. So as an ambassador, he ended up in jail. And it was because he was getting the gospel. But I want you to see something else. He didn't just bring them the message of salvation. He was never satisfied with that. In fact, as we're going through the book of Acts, we've been studying, we'll be studying more on it. He would go back and reconfirm. He, he would go somewhere and churches be established. People would be saved. And then he'd come back through and, and, and try to help ground them in the faith. He was never satisfied with someone, oh, well, they accepted Christ, and then just, well, that's okay. No, he wanted to see them grounded. He wanted to see them, uh, what would happen with them, and, and that they would go forward. And look at, uh, so he preached the whole counsel of God. Look in Ephesians 4. 
Look what he says to Ephesus. And by the way, Ephesus is uh, so vital in this because Ephesus was the first city of Asia where he went and started church. You remember he wasn't allowed to go into Asia at first. And I've given you the geography and how he had to do that and how he went over and ended up going back down through Troas and then went over into the Macedonian region, the Greek region, went down through there and then the churches were started there and then they ended up helping support him. He went back over at Ephesus, but Ephesus was the key linchpin of the Asian churches going in. The seven churches of Asia that you read about in Revelation, Ephesus is the first one mentioned there. It was the key point of the gospel in Asia or what sometimes people call Asia Minor. And so with that in mind, look what he said. He, he was at Ephesus a short time, got the church started, then he was gone. Apollos came, Aquila and Priscilla were still there. And the Aquila and Priscilla instructed Apollos further in the faith than what he knew. Apollos had a great ministry in Ephesus. Then he went over to Corinth where Paul had established things. Paul comes back to Ephesus and stays there. As long as we have him stay in any one place, one particular church, on record. He was there three years. And look what he did. I'm talking about being an ambassador. As an ambassador, we're not just giving out the gospel, teaching someone how to be saved. Verse four, chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. And so he's talking to them about their Christian walk and being walking worthy of that vocation that you ought to, you ought to live to the standard of what of being a child of God, representing the Lord here in our life uh, with that. As an ambassador, he showed his faithfulness to rightly represent his sovereign, Lord Jesus Christ, not only by declaring the gospel, but also what it meant to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. It's evidence in the beginning verses of chapter 6 where Paul, Jesus' ambassador in bonds, faithfully taught on several subjects. At the beginning of this chapter, chapter 6, where, where we're studying at the beginning of it, he talks about a lot of different things in their life. What did he, what did he give them as an ambassador? What were some of the subjects in this? I'll, I'll give you the verses that go with them too, but here's some of the things that Paul, as an ambassador of Christ, spoke about. We ought, we ought to teach those who we can. I'm not just talking in a class setting. Although we do need some people to get a heart's desire for your life, for your activity, for your Christian character to grow to where you could teach people in our classes here, in our Sunday school and such. 2024 is going to have an, a special emphasis on our Sunday school. I just gave Miss Holly on Monday a little phrase you're going to see and hear. A quality Bible education from qualified Bible teachers. It's a guiding thing we're going to be doing. The emphasis of growing people. In our language and using it to advertise and such, we're going to be uh, talking to people about how they can come get a Bible education. There's a disassociation. We're not abandoning the word Sunday school. I'm not ashamed of not abandoning it at all. But I'm, let me phrase this the way I want to. 
there's much that's being done and a very much a popularity of small group stuff. A lot of it's detrimental. It's really, some of it's good, a lot of it's detrimental. Baptist churches have been using small groups since before all this other stuff was invented. They're just called Sunday school. <laughs> and so the communication of it though, sometimes you say go to Sunday school, an adult immediately thinks of children. When I'm talking to people about coming to my class, I say, hey, I teach an adult, we have adult Bible classes while we're having Sunday school and that sort of thing. And we're not abandoning, we're not going to abandon the term Sunday school. I'm not ashamed of it in any way. But it's, it's, not, a, it's not a biblical conviction, it's not a biblical phrase, but I'm not ashamed of it. I, don't think, it's, I think it attaches to a good heritage. But here's what I want you to understand. We're going to let people know, hey, here's a place you can come and your children can be taught the Bible. They're not just going to have some kind of program where they come out, hey, we had fun. They're going to be taught the Bible. Hey, you can come to our church and you're going to get a quality Bible education from a qualified Bible teacher. Does God want you to be a part of that? Your living needs to be in such ways you're not tugging a different direction than, than I am from this pulpit. There has to be a faithfulness. You have to get here on time, be here consistently where I can trust you to have a class and make it go well. There are a number of you could do this. You ought to put your heart to thinking about it and saying, well, it's important. Suppose in the next month, suppose God gave us 30, and I'll just give one scenario, 30 new riders on our bus. Suppose all the folks who ride our bus right now just went out and got them a bunch of friends and brought them in. And suppose, right now, suppose, oh man, that'd be great. Would it? Number one, we would have trouble having workers enough to manage that on the bus route. Number two, if you bring in 30 people, and our bus route has all different age in it, but the predominant is, is young folks. If they dropped in right now, I don't have teachers enough to... Properly have classrooms. So if we're going to grow, we need the infrastructure to grow, which means we need to grow. Simplest thing I'm saying, church, if we're going to grow, we need to grow. I accept the responsibility. I need to continually grow as your pastor. In the wisdom of my administration, in where I invest my time, and in the Word, and, and, and that, that's important. You need a pastor who's continually growing, going forward. And uh, you as a church body, God wants to do some great things. There's a hunger right now. I see a hunger among young people on Mount Solwini to know some truth. You realize, I mean, I know I'm older than, than, uh, than most in the room tonight, um, not the oldest here by any means at all, but I'm, I'm older than most in this room. And uh, I'm looking at it from the perspective of saying, oh, man, these times are squirrely, but I'm looking at it from, and that's too light of a word, but I'm looking at it from a base of being very grounded and having years and years of following the Lord and experience in life. But yeah, young people who don't have that base, and it's downright terrifying. And they're coming to a conclusion you just can't trust anybody or anything. And there's a spiritual void that's there. Now, 
I know we're getting them the gospel. I know we're witnessing the people. Pass out tracts. Give the gospel. I'm for every bit of that. Not just theoretically. I'm involved in it. But we also need to be able to give them the whole counsel of God. And that's not something that myself or any other single person here in here will accomplish. We need folks who are going for You need to grow. It needs to, be, needs to be a thing. You say, well, I don't really feel like teaching something I want to do. That's fine. It's not for everybody. I get that. I'm not saying everybody, if they're right with God and growing, they become a teacher. That, that's any more than if everybody's right with God, they're going to sing. No. I, I mean, we sing together in a congregation, but not as a special. You know, you have a heart for the Lord. You're good in prayer. You love the Lord. Doesn't mean you should be soloing into one of these microphones. All right? You also need a voice that can do it. Not everybody's geared for teaching. I get that. That's perfectly fine. Every aspect of what's done in the Lord's house is vitally important. Whether it be taking care of the physical properties, whether it be greeting people, whether it be teaching people, whether it be sending people notes and cards, whatever you're doing, it's it's vital if you're doing it for the Lord. But I'm saying in the midst of that, I've got sense enough to know that God wants people in this town taught the gospel and taught the Word of God. And then that means it raises up people for that. And so I wanted to give you that tonight. Um, and so he's teaching the whole council. Here's some of the things he taught in Ephesians 6 as you come through the uh, chapter there. He, he taught the proper behavior of children toward their parents. Verses 1 through 3, both in the matter of obedience, which is temporary, I'll explain that in a second, and the matter of honor, which is permanent. Time to time, I've had good folks and folks I love in our church are a little off on that. And even have tried to say to folks that, you know, you're always under obedience to your parents. You're not. That's not biblical. When I, uh, I, I was 17, but when I moved 1,200 miles away from home, started taking care of all my own bills, and went off to be trained and get some Bible college training, and from that point forward, took care of my own things. I was no longer under obedience. I had, as a young man, I had stepped out to establish my own going in the world. Now, don't get me wrong, there was a brief period of time when I was back home before I ended up transferring up to Hiles Anderson, and, and during that time, my mom asked me to do something, I did it. If I was going to come in late, I've been on my own, been 1,200 miles away from home. And back then, you didn't have cell phones to call home. And you didn't have change to put in the stupid, you know, coins in, into the machine. And you had one, one payphone at the end of your whole dorm. You didn't get to call mommy every day and tell her that you were scared. You'd grow up or die. You know? And just Darwinian, man. Go for it. And... Uh, you say, well, what if you didn't have money? You know, you, you, figure it out. They say down home, root hog or die. And uh, it's a good thing. Kick baby bird out of the nest. Let baby bird fly or let the cat get him. I don't care. And, but the uh, did that. Uh, that's, I was not under obedience to that. But when I came home, if I was going to be late, if I told her, hey, I'm going here or there and I should be home by 11. And by the way, I wasn't telling mom while I was in high school. So I was already out of high school and graduated and in college and out on my own. I didn't tell mom. I was high school. I'll be home at such and such. You didn't tell my mom. I'm going to. That, no, that didn't work. That makes me twitch now. Think about. But when I'd say, mom, I'm going to be out until this time. And all of a sudden I'm out. I make a different plan. I'm a young adult by then. I'm taking care of my own, my own living. 
And uh, I, I would call, hey mom, I'm going to be about 15 minutes late. Why? That's called respect. But I wasn't under obedience. My wife, the day she became Mrs. Manning, was no longer under obedience to James and Lorraine Imhoff. When her dad walked her down the aisle, took her arm from his arm and put it in my arm, um, she became my wife and I always wanted her to love what she did. I always wanted her to respect what she did. Good relationship with her dad. I loved that. I wanted to be a part of nurturing that not causing any division in it. But she was not under obedience to them anymore. It, she never did this, but she couldn't have come and said, well, Mom and Dad told me I need to. No, Mom and Dad don't get to tell you. This is our household. I get territorial as a hungry bulldog with a steak on that. No. Mom and Dad don't come tell. Uh-uh. Mamma Papa, love them a lot. Wanted them to have influence. Glad they had influence. Guess what? Those are our kids. Uh-uh. And now I'm on the other end. Now I'm Pappy. But I tell you what, it's a big job to just to go, hmm. That's hard sometimes. So every now and then, since I got two boys, you punch them out of principle, you know. Um, so we don't have kids. You got a furry dog I like. So that'll work. But are you, are you getting what I'm saying? One's temporary. The obedience is temporary. But the honor is always. That makes you treat with respect. That makes you be a, a person who conducts yourself with respect even if they are behaving in a disrespectful manner. Say, well, they've not done anything to earn my respect. Then you be like your heavenly Father is because we didn't do anything to earn His love. And one, you say, how can I honor them? I can't tell somebody they're a good person. They're not a good person. That's a reality. How in the world can I, can I honor them? They're a disreputable person. And the reality is, I'm not going to pretend like it's not that way. Let me tell you one way you can honor that situation. Take the name you've been given, take the life you've been given, and do something honorable with it. And that's a way in which you can give honor. And by the way, honor starts always it's one thing to obey. Do you know you, could, you can obey young folks here? Do you know you could obey your parents and do it in a dishonorable way? Let me give you an example of that. They ask you to do something. Here's dishonorable. You go ahead and do whatever it is, but here's how you go about doing it. They ask you. You're disrespectful and rude. That's not honor. So well, I don't like what they said. I'm not being silly with you, young ones, right now. It is super good training for you because you're going to get that a lot in life. Don't you end up like one of these? Oh man, I got to filter a lot right now. Um, oh, you have an idea. Okay, I'm going to go on. I can't go down that trail. I'm going to be so fleshly right now. I, I am, and I want to help you, but I, I, honestly, I just, I just passed the line of danger there. I, you say, you're going to say something out of the way. I know, nothing vulgar or something like that, but mm. they also taught the duty of the fathers towards their children and proper actions and bringing them up. That's, that's important. 
He taught the relationship of servants to their masters according to the flesh and how all service towards anyone is to be rendered as unto the Lord. And you know, that, that's a neat thing. Then you can be doing it for a master you love. Then you can be doing it for somebody you love even if you're having to do something for somebody you don't really appreciate. If you go past them and say, Lord, I'll just do this to you. And you do it that way, it gives you an opportunity to be freed up from that other bondage. Then uh, he, he deals with the promise that God will justly reward righteous actions. You know, the, the final judgment hasn't happened yet. Thank God uh, our works follow us and God takes care of things. Then he also dealt with the actions of masters towards those who serve them. Particularly, very particularly, not to threaten or oppress those who, who serve them or work for them. Never supposed to threaten, never supposed to oppress. And um, also he reminds them that although that person may be a master on this earth and may have people under them, people work for them and stuff, that they have a master that they'll answer to someday. That's really important to keep in mind. He, he taught them to be strong in the Lord. In a totally heathen culture like what we have, and a, a, a very, very uh, uh, polytheistic culture with multiple gods and all that, don't you think they needed strength in the Lord? He taught them about that. Be strong in the Lord. Then he taught them the particulars and vital importance of the whole armor of God. I love that teaching there in Ephesians. Paul taught them that. See, as an ambassador, he said, here's how people from our country act. Here's how people who have our king as their king, here's how they act. During the height of the British Empire, those who were out in all the many areas that Britain reigned over, if they were British people, they conducted themselves in a certain way, whether they were in India or Africa or Europe, they said, we are British. And because of that, there were certain things they would or would not do because they said, we are citizens of the British Empire. And they took a, a great, a great uh, care to make sure that they represent that right. I'm, I know not everybody, but that was the general demeanor and culture of things. You know, we ought to be that way towards the Lord. I'm going to, I'm going to be an ambassador in bonds. It doesn't matter about my circumstance. I want to represent Him properly. It talks about that. Then it talks about the... Uh, the true nature and origins of our battles. This is all in the first, that's in verse 12. I mean, all this is dealt with in this one chapter to this church and to us. The origin of our battles are not fleshly. Their, their origin is spiritual. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Then the admonition to stand. In other words, don't give in. Don't back up. Don't back down. Don't back off. Stand. And having done all, guess what we're supposed to do? Thing. And that's the final option. We ought to make sure that we do it right. And then the exhortation to go with the gospel. I love it. What part of the body are covered with the preparation of the gospel? You know, in the whole armor of God? You have the breastplate of righteousness, you have the sword of the spirit, you have the helmet of salvation, loins girded about with truth. What's covered with the gospel? Feet. And I didn't use the word shod because I'd give it away. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. I like that. What is, it? what is that? You're prepared to go. Why does it say feet? Because the feet are for going. That's what they're for. 
We're supposed to go with the gospel. Get it out there. You say, well, I hope more people come to church and hear the gospel. I'm glad when people come to the church and hear the gospel. But it's the church's responsibility to go where the people are with the gospel. May God help us do that. And then he went on down to preeminence. Preeminent necessity of prayer. He said all this has to be covered by prayer. As an ambassador in bonds, he was keenly aware of his need of prayer on his behalf. Look back, if you will, at this in verse 18. He says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance, to stay at it, and supplication for all saints, for all the believers. Look at the first three words of the next verse. And for me. And so, as an ambassador in bonds, he was aware of his need of prayer on his behalf. And for me. He said, I need you to pray for me because I need God's strength to represent God. He wasn't just representing God because he was a, an apostle. He was representing God because he belonged to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he said, pray for me with this. And that attached back to that prayer exhortation. And then, as an ambassador in bonds, he sought for utterance be given to him. Uh, look what it says there in verse 19. And for me that utterance may give, be given unto me, that I may make known the mystery of the gospel, that, that I may open my mouth boldly, excuse me, to make known the mystery of the gospel. Uh, what is utterance? It's speaking. He said, I'll tell you how to pray for me. By the way, we ought to pray for one another with this, but if you want to know a particular way to pray for missionaries, and I mean a very particular way, perhaps you'll take the reading program we're just finishing and you'll break that down into certain days of the week, you'll pray for certain ones. That's a good way to start if you're not in the habit of praying for particular things. Start that way. And here you have a, a biblically driven, a biblically originating prayer Paul said, pray for me that utterance be given to me. I may open my mouth boldly. What is this utterance? He said, pray for me that I'll speak. And I, I put this down. He, he, was pray, he was asking that they would pray he would have the opportunity to speak and then the ability to best use that opportunity. You ever had somebody you wanted to talk to about the Lord and you're trying to figure out how to lead in or how to get that opening? How to, how to talk to that person. He said, pray for me. Why? So you have an utterance. Pray for the opportunity. God opened the door that I may give the gospel. And then knowing what to do with it and the best way to go about it. Then as an ambassador of bonds, he twice expressed his need for boldness. One, to open his mouth clearly and boldly in spite of his captive condition. And the intimidation of being a prisoner. Think about this. When, when, when he's saying that, He's, he's a captive. He literally is a captive. But he says, I want to be bold in my captivity. And then there'd be an intimidation to that. You know, these people have him in bonds. He's, he's not a free man. There's intimidation. You live, you live in a world, and I live in a world, that one of the forces that will be brought to bear against you to keep you from serving the Lord the way you ought to as a Christian person is intimidation. Sneers of people. Rolling of eyes of people. If you're not careful, you... Everybody knows what 
chameleon is? You know that lizard called the chameleon? Absolutely amazing critters, aren't they? They change colors. And that's something else, man. If I had a pet chameleon, I swear I'd put a polka dot handkerchief in its place and see what it did with that. That'd be awesome. Drive the chameleon nuts. Brother Keith and I both know this. There are some people there are spiritual chameleons. Well, it's according to whatever group they're around, what they're acting like. You get around church people, you put on that church color. You get around worldly people, you put on that worldly color. You should never think so little of Jesus Christ that you would be ashamed to be associated with Him. And so, what He did, he, His captive condition, the intimidation, He asked for boldness. Isn't that funny? You wouldn't think of Paul as having to ask for that. But he asked twice in his prayer request. He says, pray for me to have boldness. That's the Apostle Paul. It's a fellow got stoned and left for dead for preaching. This fellow went right back to that town again afterwards. He went right into an entire stadium area where the mob was wanting to kill him. And he says, I'm going to go in there and preach. You wouldn't think about a fellow like that, but he had that boldness. I don't care how... Uh, strong someone may seem or how much of an extrovert they may seem, if they're going to do the work of the Lord, they're going to have to have some holy boldness to do, to do things God's way. And then, let me say to you, as an ambassador in bonds, he wanted to speak the right things in the right manner. And that kind of brings us back to what I started with about as an ambassador, how we behave ourselves. Look please in verse 20. He says, For which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein, as an ambassador in bonds, I may speak boldly, and then look at the last phrase, as I ought to speak. It should be very important to us, whether we're being an ambassador one-on-one -on -one towards someone, if I'm up here being an ambassador in this pulpit, that we should speak as we ought to speak. Nothing more, nothing less. Staying on task. And, and, and God's honored by that. God will direct us in that. Why? Because God wants us to be ambassadors in bonds. I don't know what your bondage may be at some point. Maybe a bondage of fear of things. Maybe a bondage of uh, it's hard for you to talk to people and, and, and kind of express yourself. That's a reality. That personalities are that way for sure. Maybe it's a bondage of memories and past that Every time you go to witness for the Lord, you have this voice of condemnation, which is not the same thing as a voice of conviction. The voice of conviction will clearly tell you where you are in error, and it will be something real, and it will be something of which you can repent and get right. The voice of condemnation comes along and has the type to think, well, you know what you did, and it's not trying to get you right. It's just trying to bring up old dirt. Oh, you can't do that. Who are you to be witnessing to them? Oh, yeah, right. You're telling them about Jesus. Uh, you know you know how you are. That's a voice of condemnation. And, and the reality is that uh, uh, we've got to have boldness. Because in that bondage, that's a bondage. Well, I could never tell anybody about Jesus. I've messed things up and not before I was saved. As a Christian, knowing better, I totally, willfully blew it. The voice of condemnation will speak loudly into your mind. 
We've got to learn by the grace of God to be ambassadors and bonds. We're we ambassadors for Christ. Pretty, pretty amazing, isn't it? You're not qualified to perform surgery, are you? And I'm not asking now about the legal ramifications because I know how that is with you being an RN if you witness an accident and that sort of thing. So I'm not getting in that realm. But if you came upon an accident, somebody's injured and they're there, they may be injured or have something that's beyond your training or what you should be doing, right? So does that mean you leave them alone and don't do anything? So what do you do in that situation? Just case, you know, ever come up. What do you do? Because hmm. you may be the only person there with any training. It would not be unusual if this week that many of you will be in situations in places of work, out in public, talking to people, where you may be the person who knows the most Bible of anybody in that area. So well, my Bible knowledge is just basic. And much of our society, my friends, is zero. Well, preacher, this is one maybe you should handle. That one there, wasn't it? So you just leave him to bleed because he can't do everything? You do as much as you can do without damaging. You can talk to him about Christ. Well, they want me to help with their marriage. That surgery, leave that alone. For your sake and theirs. Trust me, for your sake and theirs. What could be a better start to whatever situation I'm dealing with than if they actually came to a true knowledge of Jesus Christ and had God working within them? Ambassadors and bond. Fascinated by it. I leave you with this statement. Simply understood, Paul desire, greatly desired that the circumstances of his bondage would not shackle the message with which he had been entrusted. May God help us to do things that way. That's what I have for you tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your people. Thank you for the truth of the Word of God. May we truly be ambassadors in the bonds of this life, this earth, this, uh, the things we deal with and the frailties and trials. God, may we represent you properly in whatever state we find ourselves. God, help us to do the most good that we can in any situation. I ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together, please. And the song of invitation. Some of you tonight, you ought to say, I volunteer for ambassador service. I'm volunteering to be an ambassador. Maybe you already have. Maybe you didn't use those words, but you want to be. Well, come ask God to help you. In your bonds. In your bonds.